Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're out to lunch with editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. The music industry in Louisiana is one of the state's most powerful economic and cultural engines, though most of the credit and attention typically goes to New Orleans. Why is Baton Rouge overlooked, and what does the capital region have to offer in the music space? Joining me today to discuss this is Chris Maxwell, owner of the Red Dragon Listening Room, a local venue for live music that, as its name implies, really focuses on the music and the quality of the sound instead of the glitz and glam you might find in a larger concert arena. Founded in the early 2000s, the Red Dragon Listening Room really focuses on showcasing Louisiana talent and giving back to the community. It's a nonprofit profit, not a business, that puts money back into the arts and other nonprofit organizations. Though it's tucked away on Florida Boulevard in a neighborhood you might not be familiar with, it has been recognized by Newsweek magazine, no less, as one of the best places to hear acoustic music in a city that Newsweek described as one of the top 10 music meccas of the world. That was pretty incredible to hear that said about Baton Rouge. Chris has been active in the music scene for years and had a small independent record label until 2010 for obscure songwriters. He is a native of Canada who came down south as a young man, went to college at LSU, where he earned his bachelor's degree in marketing. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you here today on Out to Lunch. Thank, Thank you for you. joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure me. to be here. At the table with me and Chris is Dustin Luke, a local artist, musician, and songwriter who was born in St. James Parish and came back to South Louisiana after spending time in Brooklyn. Though Dustin signed with a major record label early in his career, which led to a two-year stint touring and selling his music to films, he walked away from the corporate side of the business, and these days he travels the country in his 1987 Westphalia, performing year-round and connecting on a more personal level with fans of his music. Dustin, he's a guitarist. It's great to have you here with us today. Thanks for joining us on Out to Lunch. Chris, tell us a little bit about Red Dragon. It's a great concept and has such a loyal following, but... How does a nonprofit venue work? How do you keep the doors open? Well, we do uh, one big fundraiser a year. Uh, we've done this for, I guess, about 12 years. Uh, for the first six years in the, uh, of doing it, we self-funded it. My wife and I uh, would just you know, cover the costs our, on our own. And as time went by, we, uh, we were spending a lot of our retirement <laughs> on this. So we, uh, right. we got everybody else to help out. We do one big fundraiser a year, and that carries us through the year. And, and as I mentioned, a listening room really is a place where you can listen and focus on the sound quality. It's an acoustic, right? It is, I mean, indeed. And my wife, uh, my wife and daughter have a habit of reminding me each night before we uh, start our show, uh, we call it the shut the hell up speech. <laughs> it's, uh, it basically tells everybody that uh, if they'd like to have a conversation, we'd like them to take it out to the patio. And it, it really leads to a lot better listening uh, environment. So our, our, uh, and our patrons know it so well that if somebody begins talking in the middle of the performance, they'll quiet them down a little bit or tell them, you know, shush or whatever. Right, so it's not like going to a bar where you might have a band up on stage yeah. and everybody's, 
drinking and visiting, right? Exactly. We're the opposite of that. So interesting. So it sounds like the kind of place, Dustin, that you would play. I mean, it sounds tailor-made for Dustin Luke. Yeah, you haven't been I mean, there. Yeah, it does. I mean, um, we we play in barns and, like, we start our events. You know, long story short, after I was on a label, my record is is not available anywhere. It's not <laughs> even on Spotify. Like, the record I'm known for is called So Long. And it was a, a love, it was a... A story. It was a Cajun, modern Cajun record. It's not Cajun music at all. It's just a story, yeah, and um, of resilience. And it just kind of resonated with people over the years. And I was working a regular job for, for like five years, and people kept emailing me, like you know, like professing their love for this record. And like, wow. I met my husband, or this happened, and that happened, and and it was like one after another. And I realized, and then social media started to happen, and I realized that um, I could connect directly with these people I in my I needed that sense of authentic, authentic mm-hmm. connection I didn't want to be up on a stage like with a barricade and on a poster like I already had that experience and it didn't resonate with me and um, I couldn't sell out so yeah I needed the intimate like connection with people so yeah I could relate to a quiet I love listening your description. Room. It's so cool. It's uh, the what's that? Uh, that the the way you connect with your fans and the audience. Yeah, it's, I don't need to be like a hero. Like I, I want to be a regular person. I want to be able to like go in a cafe and not be recognized and be able to live life and. So and is it learn. is it? Are you able to support yourself? Yeah, I'm sustain- yeah I mean, it's sustainable. It's Do sustain- I need to make more money? Yes, but <laughs> it's sustainable and I feel authentic. In my work, and that's what I was after. So, what genre? Tell us about your style of music. Um, So, like I said, I was doing a lot of research in the early days, uh, researching different Louisiana music, and we were in New York with samplers and drum machines and all that stuff. So, uh, I started with like I connected Jamaican music, like reggae and dub music, that was connected to New Orleans. Uh, So, folk music, you know, folk songs were at the base of everything whether I was using a drum machine or not so it's a mixture of uh, like you know hip-hop was big at the time too I was living in Brooklyn I'm not a rapper but there was a thing called trip-hop too which was coming out of England at the time so and you know as well as like bands like Radiohead and like more ambient music more serious kind of tone of uh, music so um, you know in my neighborhood and I was in Williamsburg Brooklyn it was really creative at the time we had bands like uh, TV on the radio, who was pretty big in our, our neighborhood, and a lot of folk bands, like folk based, like Cat Power. I don't know if you know Cat Power, but so it's, I'm a mutt, you know, I like a lot of music, <laughs> a bit but of folk is at the base of everything, no matter what um, kind of music. Chris, know. what kind of music does Red Dragon um, typically showcase, or is it a, a variety of I genres? I tell everybody it's folk music, but it's really, we're kind of a, trying to be a little wider than that. We've yeah. uh, A lot of the punk artists of the 70s are now the folk artists of the new millennium. I mean, they, they we've had John Doe come and play with us from the band really? X, and we've had uh, Alejandro Escovedo, who was uh, a an early punk. And these guys have all just... Uh, as time goes by, you you strip it down a little you more, and it's you, you strip away all <laughs> yeah. the excess, and you oh. like, yeah. And, and then we we really go back to uh, traditional folk as well. We we had Joan Baez come when you were telling your story of connecting with your audience. Uh, I just love telling people that uh, amazing. when she, she played with us, she uh, the show ended. She it was the smallest place she played since 1958. Wow! And um, and she hugged every single person from the audience 
Anybody who wanted a hug from Joan Baez got it. And then when she left, she's driving away, and the car pulls right back into the parking lot. And she jumps out. I thought maybe she had forgot to go to the restroom or something. No, she forgot to give my daughter a hug. Oh, She goes my, running back in because wonder. she didn't want to leave without hugging my daughter. That is the coolest story. I'm not surprised. Yeah. She's a, a, the sweetest lady you would ever So ever how meet. did you, for instance, attract Joan Baez to the Red Dragon listening room in Baton Rouge? Or did she seek you out? How does it work? It was really lucky. We had, a, uh, we had been sought out by Roseanne Cash to do a show, which was great for us. We had a wonderful time with her. And uh, a fellow had just moved to town, uh, was in the music business in Los Angeles, came to the show. And he came up to me after the show and said, well, uh, he said, I, I produce records by Joan Baez. Would you like to have Joan come and play with you? I thought he was nuts. I didn't have any <laughs> idea that, there was, that he was really serious. But as time went by, he put together a little three-stop tour called Baez on the Bayou. Love it. And she played three very small venues, one in Lafayette, one in New Orleans, and one in Baton Rouge. And, and uh, they were, it was spectacular. Her management didn't like the idea. They, in fact, they wouldn't even send her microphones. They said it wasn't You're a sanctioned kidding. event. Oh, wow. And she had to remind them who they worked for. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, thank you. Hello. Yeah. And so how did, did you, uh, did you have to promote it? Or, I mean, were people... It sold think- out on word of mouth. It was, uh, we, we, um, it was arranged through her, her manager and he, uh, I only got to sell half the seats. He did the other half were for his own, uh, it, the front half of the building was filled with all of the industry people and the folks he wanted to have in there. And uh, all of my customers were mad at me because it's like, wait a minute, we don't yeah. even start until the eighth row. But right. uh, uh, it, it, by the end of it, nobody cared. They were in the room for history. That is just fantastic. How many people do y'all fit in there? A hundred. Okay. Yeah, it's a very so it's small Very, place. very intimate. And the acoustics, I imagine they're good. They're fantastic. And they think, everybody thinks that somehow we, we designed it to be that way. No, it was an old concrete building. Brick, all concrete. And we thought, well, how are we ever going to not have this echo? And so I brought a bunch of couches and put them in the front. Mm-hmm. And the couches served, if you've ever been to a venue that has all of this egg crate stuff sure. put up and to absorb the sound, well, we, we put a bunch of couches in there. There's 18 of them. And that served the purpose, and it gave us great sound. And then a few years after being over at the current location, we landed uh, some friends with uh, Personas Sound Equipment. Yeah. And They're local, right? They, they are. are local. from Louisiana. Great they, um, story there. Our entire system is a Persona system. So, I mean, I, I'm a walking advertisement for those folks. I know I sound like it, too, don't mm. I? No, that's great. We had them on the show a couple of years ago. So it sounds like neither of you guys have to advertise very much. I mean, you sort of have these followings, and it's organic. I mean, how do you get the word out, Dustin, when you're performing somewhere? I'm still somewhere? trying to get out there. Like, the, you know, you always meet new people. But um, emails... Um, social media, uh, just different collaborations mm-hmm. with different musicians in different genres. I don't know. It's, social it's, media it's a new world, man. Really changed. The I mean, music it's, world, social huh? media is busy too. You know, there's a lot of traffic. Like everybody's making music, so you know you have you have a lot of um, challenges. You know, but um, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm cool with being small and organic. I, I call myself like a form a table kind of operation like yeah. if a chef could say this is bull I don't want to cook for this many people I want to do it like this like we can do that too as musicians I knew we could do it and I'm doing it but 
you know, it doesn't look like success, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like the model of success as a musician, success, like the ones that really succeed die, like in music, let's face it. Like you get put up there, you're this kind of spectacle, and you, it's not sustainable really, you mm-hmm. know. So I, I just didn't really want that kind of life. Yeah, no, you know? I understand. Yeah. And and y'all really don't have to to buy paid advertisements. I mean, no, we do some followers. Facebook ads, uh, but other than that, I mean, we've never really had a, an ad budget. We went for the first 16 years with a zero ad budget. <laughs> Love it. And now our ad budget is whatever Facebook things that we, you know, we'll do do the little Facebook shares that, uh, that you put a few bucks into. And mm-hmm. the only reason we did that was because we got a grant to cover uh, advertising that way. So... It's it's nothing. We've never spent any money on anything other than the sound and and the uh, and making sure the musicians come out well. That's our whole purpose is to make sure that the musicians walk out happy. We call it. Uh, Kinky Friedman came one time and he started to refer to it as uh, it's been a financial p- pleasure. So that's how we describe it. Now we our purpose is to make it a financial pleasure wow. for the artists that play with us. Do you all charge a cover? Uh, we charge a uh, a cover, but it all goes to the artists. We're uh, we're a we're a pass through company. Every cent of it ends up in the artists' hands, uh, and we sustain our our uh, place by doing a uh, a big fundraiser. We do it in the month of March. Uh, it's called a Palooza. Mm-hmm. We started it. Uh, I guess this is our 11th year doing it. Our first one was done because we needed to put up a fence around our uh, our parking lot. Uh, we were in a rough neighborhood and people were walking onto our property. So we said, uh, uh, we need a fence and we don't have $4,000. So we uh, there you uh, go. We went and, and, and did a fundraiser to build a fence. And the next year we did a fundraiser to fix our roof. Do and you have next year, many artists knocking down your doors wanting to come perform? Or? We really do, especially after the that uh, Newsweek article. It was funny, that article came out, and within 48 hours of the Newsweek article that uh, uh, came out, I guess it was in November. It, uh, it November said that, of 2019, and it. It, it listed Baton Rouge as one of the, you know, music meccas of the world. We were the and only one that the they had in the, in the United States, and, uh, and they listed us at number one. Chris. And it was such a, a pleasure for it to have happened. But in the next 48 hours, we had 300 booking requests. 200 of them were from overseas. So Newsweek is apparently bigger overseas than it <laughs> yeah. is here. Uh, I couldn't even find a, co- a hard copy of the magazine until about two weeks ago. No kidding. Huh? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's not that I was trying to chase one down as much, but I just didn't know where Newsweek was sold anymore. It was... Uh, and I'm wondering how the Newsweek reporter found y'all. I mean, were you just they, lucky that he stumbled upon you one day? They told us that they had come in, experienced a show, and then it was a month before they even contacted us. And they said, we'd like to have you in this uh, this little article. Well, we thought we were going to get a one-line mention, but they wanted a photograph. So we had our photographer send uh, three photographs up to them, and uh, one of them had me in the photograph. And be darned if they didn't pick that one. That's <laughs> but, fantastic. So I got my picture in a national magazine. So, You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking with Chris Maxwell of the Red Dragon Listening Room and musician Dustin Luke. We'll be right back after this very short break.
You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Chris Maxwell of the Red Dragon Listening Room and musician Dustin Luke. Dustin, were you always destined to be a musician? No. Or did you play grew, as a kid? No. I grew up an athlete. Really? I uh, played football, actually. I played all sports, but I played football at McNeese for a year. I was a quarterback, but I ended up wow. being too small. But I had the drive from being a small player. I always had to work harder than anybody. So, you know, with uh, and then I discovered music in college and... You know, went to acting school in New York at Stella Adler Conservatory, and that kind of taught me I was an artist. You know, mm-hmm. there were old school teachers <laughs> that were there when Brando was there, and like, oh, cool. it was a lot of pressure. And they, you know, every day you're on stage, and uh, that kind of brought me out because mm-hmm. I'm a really quiet guy. Like I like to sit alone and mind my own business, but it brought me out. And um, so I wasn't always a musician, but uh, the sports kind of gave me the. The confidence in the well, work what about the? Too. I mean, the talent. I mean, well, did talent, you? Did yeah. they teach you how to play guitar, somebody, or you? No, pick that's it up? all just stuff that came that, that I worked on privately. So you taught yourself. You know? Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, I mean, I just learned. I'm in, in New York, man. You gotta, you're with the best, you know. So right, you right. You gotta figure it out. But, and I'm not like I won't dazzle you on the guitar. I'm the guy like bringing guys like Nels Klein, who plays with me sometimes. He's a Rolling Stones, top 100 guitarists of all time. So, but those guys need something to play. Yeah, they need songs to play. And in. so you'll so write I'm the, the guy music. that writes it. I sing it, but maybe I'll play an instrument. But other, I bring other people from different genres. And you make literally, new stuff. I mean, you you taught yourself how to write music using a yeah, treble clef and no, staff no. and everything. I mean, I no. studied a little classical music. I don't write music on the staff or mm-hmm. anything anymore. You know, I don't have to. It's just like folk guys do. You just write on a guitar, or piano. Or a drum machine, however you, whatever it takes. You know, nowadays we have amazing tools. You know, sure, sure. With the computer, so uh, yeah. Interesting, Chris. How did you become such an audiophile? Were you always interested in music? I was just a lover of music. I always was, and uh, this goes back, you know, to my teen years. And uh, I realized early on that I was terrible at playing it. <laughs> I, I tried many times I failed many times but uh, but the love of music was always there and I found I had one skill uh, in the music business and that was I was a good judge of, of uh, songs mm-hmm. and that led to having a, uh, a record label that we ran for 14 years and did 52 albums in that time and uh, it was a that was a ton of fun and it segued into what uh, what we do now because we had an open room and we had friends that were always coming through town. And when the uh, M's Fine and Mellow Cafe here in town closed down, we had no place for songwriters to go. Right. It was a completely barren area for songwriting. Hmm. And it was that way for the first 12 years that we were doing the listening room. There wasn't another anything but listening rooms uh have caught on big time across the country now we uh i don't know that we were the first i know we were the first that used the the words listening room in the name mm-hmm. uh, i know that because there's a guy who's out there suing everybody right now trying to get them in to baton stop rouge using or nationwide it's Around a guy he's in um, nashville who thinks that he somehow owns it listening room is a descriptive term and it's Correct. been used since 1969 the first wow. place i knew it was used was um a uh, a place in Galveston uh, called the Old Quarter uh, Acoustic Cafe and Listening Room, and it was a uh, uh, it, this very famous guy Clark played there, and Towns Van Zant, and all of these really great artists. Uh, so, so anyway, the um, uh, we just thought it's the perfect descriptive term to tell people what it is. Yeah, and now there are, there are several places now in Baton Rouge, or a We've couple. Got a bunch. At, at one point, we've ended up 
there was a list uh, put together that had 32 um, uh, songwriter-friendly venues within 20 miles of here. Really? And that all happened in, a, in a, about a two-year period. Now, most of those have faded away. There's still a couple uh, that that are uh, on the scene, and there's still a, and there's some commercial venues that are on the scene as well uh, that are friendly mm-hmm. to songwriters again. And so what would that mean, for something to be friendly to songwriters? I mean, it's... We, uh, we're kind of the opposite places in Baton Rouge always wanted cover bands, you know, play the, uh, no, uh, right. play that funky play music party. white boy. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, and we used to put up signs that said, uh, you know, uh, we will shoot you if you play brown eyed girl. I mean, it was, uh, and then at the bottom it would say, you know, Van Morrison is the lone exception, the guy yeah, who wrote yeah, it. Yeah. So, uh, we really wanted to concentrate on, uh, on original music and, so that's we we told everybody that we booked we only want you to play your own songs and we still take the uh, license through ASCAP and BMI and all because somebody inevitably is going to play somebody else's song along mm-hmm. the way but uh, uh, we that's not what we want to concentrate on we want to concentrate on uh, and if somebody does want to do a cover song it's, it's so much cooler if they say hey my buddy wrote this one let me play it for you uh, you get you get more of a sense of the art that is uh, is happening as opposed to you know I, nothing against cover versions that's that's a skill in and of itself yeah. but that's kind of not what we've embraced and and we've had this discussion on this show and you know in in other places before about why there isn't more in Baton Rouge and so I'm I'm glad to hear you say that there are thirty something listening rooms in this general area or there were a couple of years ago. But even if you went back five or six years, I know we were having a conversation on this show with Johnny Palazzotto one day about you know, back in the late sixties, early seventies, there was so much homegrown talent and then something happened, you know, and, and everything went just kind of mainstream. Because I know there are people in Baton Rouge hungry for what you all do why isn't there more what is it with the culture here one of the coolest things that's out there right now um are and it's proliferating like crazy since the whole music business kind of imploded with the record business going down a lot um are house concerts i'm guessing you do you do some I do, house I, concerts I, I do a lot of that okay Those tell us the about this Wait. In the world. um yeah we, we you know when people would email me and i did my first tour um, it started off in like house concerts, so very small. Most of these houses, I'm driving up to the driveway. These people are so pumped that I'm coming because you know they've been listening to my record. They don't know who I am, and we, you know, it's the first meeting, and we play. I might play for 50 people, then maybe somebody's in that crowd that year. And it's like, man, I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I have a barn. Next year we're gonna do a hog roast. So it's, that's how my experience is. Then it becomes, so and then cool. it's mine. It's my event. Like there's nobody telling me what to do. No producers. It's my own equipment. So mm-hmm. you know, it's and they're all acoustic. Or uh, no, it doesn't depend. have to be. Yeah, they yeah. can Some, they can spread out a bit. It depends who. It, yeah. We we have one in town here. It's called uh, the Grace House Concerts. And if we have a night off from what we're doing, uh, we go to their functions really I mean, we, where are they i don't even it's in it's in a fellow named colin grace he and his wife hosted in their home and we go sit in their living room we we uh sometimes we'll go early and have dinner with the artist before the uh before the house concert it's music the way music used to be when it was everything was personal uh we got to the point in the 70s where it was massive bands. It was huge. It was Bruce Springsteen and waiting in line 48 hours to get tickets and all of this. And you lost that personal touch. Well, the personal touch is back. 
and it's sure it's a little underground, but uh, it's That's more fun that way. Absolutely. That's very, very exciting. You know, do you see this going on in New Orleans too, or is New Orleans more commercial New because Orleans. it's so touristy? I do my own events in New Orleans too, and I used to live in the middle of it. I lived in St. Rock. I, I'd moved there after Brooklyn. I bought a house and. I wanted to be, you know, that's where a lot of artists were moving, sure. a lot of West Coast people, a lot of New York people were moving to New Orleans. I'm like, well, great, I'm going to move back home. And it was okay. Like, for me, as a songwriter in New Orleans, it's it's a little, it's kind of like, you got to really entertain. And it's like, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you got to be big and like, kind of like uh, celebratory and party. So the songwriting room there, it's, it's tough. I have a lot of great songwriters. I don't know if you know Julie O'Dell. She's amazing, but it's tough for people like like us. You have to find your own way, which I have. Like the Marini Opera House, Hotel Peter and Paul is amazing. The Opera like, House know. is the coolest place yeah, in I the world. Yeah, I play there. So really, you know, you I don't find, know about that. You have to find ways to work. Yeah, you, know, you have to find your own your your own path. You have to be you have to be resilient. You have to think out of the box. Like we are not living in the '70s. We're not living in the '80s. Like the business is not the same. So don't go down the same path you know you have to be brave and and know what success is for you you have to define your own success how, how do musicians yeah. quote make it today and I'm not saying make it to a Joan Baez level or a Bruce Springsteen level but just to a sustainable level right I mean mm -hmm. without record labels that really propel you to fame I mean and so many platforms on social media that you might just easily get lost in the in oh, the yeah. fray how do you break through it is so hard for musicians to make anything these days. That's that's actually how we got into this uh, into doing all these shows where musicians that we knew were starving, and it's like, well, and there was no place for them to play around where we were. So we said we'll start setting up shows, and it just and if everybody if if these little listening rooms kind of would set up in every city across the country, we, there would be and it's kind of happening. I mean, it's it's not happening in any great numbers yet, but yeah. it's happening enough that there's like a little circuit going on. We I was on the phone coming up here uh, talking with a little bar that is also kind of a listening room down in New Orleans, and we're kind of getting together on trying to get a couple of these big artists. Uh, you know, you take the Friday, I'll take the Saturday, and and uh, it, it, in effect, uh, keeps people on the road a little more. There's 20% less live music venues now than there were... Uh, than there was 20 years ago. Nationwide? In the year 2000. Well, I think things change, you know? Like, people don't want to go sit and watch four bands. and It's different. It's mm -hmm. very different, and I recognized that early on. Like, people like events. They're like well-curated experiences. Like, put them in a different room that's not a venue or... Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to think out of the box. You have to cut out all the middlemen. There's a lot of people. You know, when I was on a, a label, it was Atlantic huge building they're trying to pay for you know what i mean you're one of the guys out there like trying to make them money and you know your records are not in in the stores and every town you go to and they're telling you you're not selling records it's, it's a lot of stuff that you have to deal with as a musician i, I hate what, they, what jazz fest has become like yeah, oh my know. god it's just right it. they just try to wow you every year with more and more yeah. bigger and bigger names and it just gets more and more crowded and the ticket price on the infield of a uh, of a horse track that you right. can't spend it's like where do you go i know can't use the bathroom so, so what advice would y'all give to, to young musicians? I mean, what oh, would you tell them? What I do would, you tell them? 
I would tell them to do exactly what we've been talking about, which is is find your own way. Uh, the the Fleetwood Macs of the past are gone. That's yeah, you're never going to have not gonna the the people that go out and get three million dollars to make an album like Tusk. They're not going to get. Um, they're not going to have this kind of support. What they're going to have is an opportunity to <clears throat> prove themselves. You say three million dollars on a record. That's a good point because like the waste, the waste in the music industry. Like it's ridiculous. Three million dollars back in the day to make a record. Yeah, it's ridiculous. We we had a record label. Uh, we did fifty-two albums, and our average album, uh, and 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 it was the same thing we're doing now. It was a nonprofit thing. It was not for profit because we were too small to even be a nonprofit. <laughs> uh, our average budget was two thousand dollars to make a record. We never spent. Our, the most we ever spent on a record was seven thousand bucks ever. So. It, you can do things on the cheap, and if they retain the, the spirit of it, uh, if they have the passion in it, yeah, we didn't have every note perfect, and we didn't have the greatest of equipment, but boy, I tell you what, some of those records still hold up to Real, this day. And, and y'all would produce them, actually, and distribute them? And we did. We had uh, we had distribution, but nowadays that's less important than it used sure. to be. I mean, uh, we're still officially in distribution. We've, uh, we don't sell much anymore. We haven't made a record in 10 years, but... Uh, but it was wonderful. It was a great, great time. I bet it was. Well, Chris Maxwell and Dustin Luke, you both are bringing so much to the local market here in Baton Rouge. We're lucky to have you elevating the cultural offerings and opportunities and giving people good stuff to listen to. So thanks so much for making the community a better place and for helping local musicians and for sharing your stories with me on Out to Lunch. Well, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Chris Maxwell of the Red Dragon Listening Room and musician Dustin Luke. You can find out more about the Red Dragon Listening Room and Dustin Luke by going to the links on our website, itsbatonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino, Dave Winwood, and Ann Edelman. Today's show was engineered by Colin Peden. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. 